you really need to go and pick things up and hold them. They're tactile things. You need to touch them. Going to commercial galleries is one of the great last free things that you can do in the world. It's a great afternoon. You could go one, you could do five, you can go by yourself, you can go with friends. Go out and have a look. This is Object, a podcast about design and contemporary craft in Australia. I'm your host, Lisa Carl, from the Australian Design Centre. You'll hear about making handmade pottery on a large scale, how you teach ceramics. We'll talk to writers and photographers, and we'll go behind the scenes with curators and art dealers to hear about collecting. Brett Stone is an art dealer, a ceramic artist, and the founding director of Claypool. In this episode, you'll hear how to start a ceramics collection and the many different ways we can nurture ceramic practice. I'm meeting Brett today in the studio on Gadigal land. Hi, Brett. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Object Podcast. Hello, Lisa. So tell me, Brett, about your background as an art dealer. When and where did you start? I started in Perth in a mining boom in the 80s. I have a geography degree, a secretarial college degree. So I could type, I could draw a map, I could drill holes in walls. Mm. And then I was eventually offered a job with Rex Irwin in Sydney. I came here and then when I decided to semi-retire and spend more time as a potter, then Christopher at Utopia Art Sydney said, come and work for me part-time. So I've been a gallery person, art dealer, potter. Fantastic. And Rex Irwin's gallery was an institution, I think, too, in terms of commercial art galleries in Sydney. It was. The start of, you know, perhaps an era of showing um, ceramics in an art gallery, in a commercial art gallery, in a commercial sense. And I think because we were a general gallery and not a specialised gallery, Mm -hmm. a lot of people who had were big collectors had never bought a ceramic work as a work of art, bought a Gwyn Hansen picket and then went on and bought other things. Ah, very interesting. Ceramics seems to have increased massively in popularity in the past few years. Why do you think that is? I think the main reason is the rise and rise of the Danish sideboard. (laughs) Somewhere to put them. Yes. There was a great minimalist wave and then that all changed and suddenly shelves were back. And as soon as shelves are back, you need things to put on them. Then it was okay to start collecting. Mm. Do you have a Danish sideboard, Brett? No. No, I actually have a living room lined with shelves. Ah, and on those shelves are books and ceramics or...? Not many books anymore. Not many books. Yeah. yeah. And I have to say, during lockdown, it was very nice to lay on the lounge and look around and every bowl has a story. Mm, absolutely. And what's in your collection? Were you lucky enough to collect a Lucy Ree, for example, and a Gwyn Hanson picket back in the day? I have a couple of Gwyn Hanson pickets. I have a very special one, which is only a small still life, but it was from a firing that she did that I actually went up and helped her pack the kiln. 
And I was supposed to help her fire, but she was a very much a procrastinator. So I spent like a day sweeping the, the studio and another day restacking the wood from one side to the other and everything kept getting put off until I had to fly back and so I didn't do it. But it was from that firing. Huh. I have other things that I've been given and um, some very nice things that I've swapped with other ceramic artists and a lot of things that are, weren't that expensive but mean a lot to me. Yeah, it's wonderful. I think a you know, varied collection is um, a more interesting collection and a very personal collection as well. Well, being a ceramic artist or being a potter myself, mm. I'd say 80% of what I have are bowls. I don't know what it is about the bowl and my bowls that I make, I very rarely sell single bowls. My bowls are usually sold in stacks or in a, like a small group and I never try and make bowls that are exactly the same because if you know, living in shared houses over my life and coming from a big family, nothing ever matched. So it's the way bowls live and to embrace that is a great thing. What Gwyn taught me about putting things together was as she said, if you put one bowl on a table, you look at it and go, oh, that's a nice bowl. If you put two bowls on a table next to each other, what your mind does is go, oh, look at that. That one's slightly different to that one. But look at how they work together and look at the space between. So having shelves of bowls in my house, I rearrange them and I play with them and I stack like three or four people's work together and it's just a great way of interacting with the collection rather than it just being a static thing on a shelf. Yeah, that's the beauty of having your own collection at home, isn't it? As, as a, a curator and, a, and a, a, an art dealer, um, you have the opportunity to um, do your own exhibitions in your own home as much as you like. And with <laughs> you do. It usually coincides with every two months is big dusting day. Dusting. Dusting day. Okay, of course. What are collectors looking for when it comes to ceramics? Some people start collecting ceramics because they are looking for something that nobody else has or they are looking for something that's slightly nostalgic that reminds them of their childhood. One of the things that collectors are looking for more and more is a unique voice and there are some amazing artists out there at the moment. There is Ebony Russell, Ramesh, there's Glenn Barclay, there's Prue Venables who's very much a purist of form. There are people exploring all different ways of adding texture. There are still the traditional wood firers that manage to imbue an amazing thing that's just theirs, like Sandy Lockwood. There are people working with other artists like uh, Neville French, working with Belinda Fox. And if you go out there and have a look, there are ceramic artists that are pursuing this path that either no one else in Australia has taken, or even like does Kitson, no one else in the whole world. Yeah, it, the diversity is extraordinary. And I think that you can see some of that diversity on show right now um, at the Powerhouse Museum in the Clay Dynasty exhibition and in uh, Australian Design Centre's touring exhibition, um, 60, uh, celebrating the 60th anniversary of the Journal of Australian Ceramics. Both great exhibitions and I hope this podcast comes out before those finish. Absolutely. We're only on venue three with, with uh, 60 and uh, there's 14 venues to go. So it'll be a long day out there for a long time. <laughs> yeah, which is really great. Good. 
If I'm an art novice but interested in collecting ceramics, where do I start? Best way to start is to find a friend of yours who already collects ceramics and go with them to exhibitions. Or when you're at someone's house for dinner and you notice that they've got nice things, say, where did you get those from? If you were a novice and you just wanted to start out by yourself, there is Google. But Google is very misleading because a lot of ceramics don't photograph well. And you really need to go and pick things up and hold them. And you really need to have the courage to say to the person who's yelling at you, don't touch that, don't pick it up, to say, well, can I, please? And usually if they know that you're going to you know, be careful, they'll let you. Going to commercial galleries is one of the great last free things that you can do in the world. Mm. It costs money to go and have a coffee. It costs money to even to go into a national park. And I think one of the great strengths of um, commercial galleries is that uh, for an audience member, um, the shows are, you know, two or three weeks and they turn over very fast and so there's always new content and new, something new to see, which I think is, is um, you know, you can spend every weekend um, and in three weeks' time go back to that same gallery again and see a completely new body of work and uh, I think that's a, a great way to... Um, build your knowledge and, and educate yourself as an interested art goer. It is. And make yourself known to a gallery. Um, if there's someone coming up that you're interested in, tell them and they'll let you know when the work's coming into the gallery. One of the big misconceptions about commercial galleries is that nothing is for sale until the opening day. And that's not the case anymore. If you let them know that you're interested in a particular work or whatever, then they will put you on the early look list. There was a great ceramic artist called Marin Essen who sadly died recently. Mm. One of the great things that she said is when you're starting collecting, it's often about being in the right place at the right time and having the confidence to make a decision there and then because often if you go back a week later or even ring the next day, it's gone. Being in the right place at the right time, I think, is the key. And if you're not walking through the door and you're just relying on looking at websites, you're not going to get that. Some friends of ours said, oh, we really love the work on your walls. We want to buy some art. Jenna Price and John Kavanagh are ceramics collectors. We said, okay, do what we do. We go out most Saturdays. We go to three, four, five, six galleries. And we've done that since 1983, even dragging children along. Looking a lot is important. Spending a little bit more than you can afford is important. Most gallerists will give you some time to pay. There's also various forms of paying for things over a long period of time. Maybe don't spend huge money on your first outing. What else? I'd agree with that last point. I think a good idea at the beginning of any uh, collecting is to set a low budget because you buy things that uh, later on you you think, oh, maybe that wasn't such a good choice or, you know, your taste does change. Oh, yeah. And once you get into it, you see more. So you, you definitely end up liking different things. And so some of the early things you buy, you think that was fantastic. I'm so glad I bought that. But other things you think, oh, that was a bit odd. Why did I get that? 
important. I think the other thing is, you know, it's a social activity. You want to be part of going out, visiting galleries, meeting the gallerists, meeting the artists, and that adds a lot to it. That actually adds an incredible amount to it. So if you deny yourself that pleasure, you're missing an aspect of the work, which is extremely enjoyable. There is one other really important piece of advice for everyone collecting, which is to go to the student shows. Those art shows are the Jules Kitsons of the future. They happen a few times a year. Get in early. You'll be surprised at the wonderful things that you find. And you're supporting artists at the very beginning of their careers. Someone once said to me, I'll always buy artists who are the same age as you, but then I'm still buying young people because I think they're fantastic. We don't do the themes thing. A lot of people have got themes or they want everything to be white or they want everything to be from a particular region. The earliest things were things like, plates and bowls yep. because they were functional. So you could justify spending that sort of money if you could also use it. And we still do use things. And as time goes by, you're less concerned about the utilitarian aspect of it. You start to branch out a bit. Exactly. So we're not the people who have the same things on the walls or on the surfaces every day. And we've got finite wall space and ceramics can occupy surfaces. Yeah, you can change things around. That's, that's quite an enjoyable thing to do. We do that quite a bit because they're very portable. Each time you do that, it feels fresh. It feels interesting. And we both enjoy doing that. Love it. And our grandchildren love it too. <laughs> and something else you need to be prepared for with ceramics is you will have breakages. Oh, yeah. So we've got a little Jenny Orchard figure with very pointed breasts. Yeah. Breast Those breasts have broken off a couple of times. Yeah. You need to find a good ceramic repairer. Do you think people understand the difference between production pottery and ceramics as an art form? Getting back to Gwyn Hanson Pickett, I remember she told me she got very depressed when she thought people aren't going to use my work anymore. I'm going to all this trouble to make a beautiful bowl to eat out of and people are getting to that point where they think these bowls are too expensive to use. And she would always love somebody who met her at an exhibition and said, I bought one of your bowls 30 years ago and I eat my wheat bix out of it every morning. And she would give them a hug and say, thank you. Mm -hmm. She had a great hesitancy about putting any of her work in a perspex box on a plinth because she didn't want it to become this cold, sterile thing. So the production potters who are out there and who go to markets and sell their work and or sell it through a florist or the local gift shop or the state gallery bookshop, um, they are doing a great and valuable work because they that may be the introduction and the price entry point for a lot of collectors who then may think, oh, this person is actually, these cups that I have, that person's having an exhibition. Maybe I'll go and have a look at their exhibition work as well. So the, the potters who balance the two and their production work pays for their, their exhibition work because the harsh reality is it's very hard to make money as an, ex as an exhibiting potter alone. Mm. Then there are the exhibition potters who kind of look down a bit on the production potters. But often their career is supported by them teaching or they 
you know, happen to live in the country where their cost of living is much less or whatever. So the division between production and exhibition pottery, um, it's a valid one, but for a lot of collectors I don't think it's a question that comes into their mind. Mm. I think I, I find that really interesting what you said, you know, the buying that production pottery as a, you know, novice collector and using it actually starts to give you a love of holding that beautiful handmade work and then perhaps gives you confidence as a novice collector to then begin to collect more and more interesting work um, on exhibition perhaps. Exactly. Are there any other ways, Brett, that collectors can um, begin to build their knowledge of ceramics and, uh, and their collections? There are lots of collectors out there who've never spent more than $100 on something. The open studio days and other market days, like the Australian Design Centre run, are great ways to actually meet someone face-to-face. And the wonderful thing about this Instagram age is that people often get to meet face-to-face someone who they've been following on Instagram for years. A great way I know is... And, and, and it, it could cost anything from $50 each a month, is um, form with your friends who have similar tastes or not similar tastes, a small art collecting group. These often, they can be as formal or informal as you want. And sometimes um, I have done it with people where we've been and there's been a set of like six bowls and there's been three of us and we thought, well, neither none of us can afford these six but if we bought two each, so we'll buy the whole thing. And if we want to, we can borrow yours if we want to have a dinner party and have six. And that becomes a great way of buying. The other way is um, you agree on amount per each per year and for a set number of years. So let's say you put in, say, $1,000 a year and you have four to ten members and then between you, you buy a more substantial work a year. And at the end of the 10 years, you'll have 10 works of art, which you've all taken turns living with. And then at the end of 10 years, you can either decide to keep going and build the collection. You can have it valued and then your share is worth X and then you can buy from that thing your share of what from the collection. You can sell the collection or in the case of Jane Sawyer's group in Melbourne, you can donate it to a public institution. So Bluestone Collection started in 2010 by a group of craftspeople here in Melbourne with the aim of collecting contemporary craft and donating it at the end of a 10-year period to an institution. So by collecting contemporary craft, we're supporting both craftspeople and galleries who show contemporary craft. We wanted to support galleries as well. We recognised that institutions were not collecting our contemporaries' work as much as we felt they should be. I wasn't a founding member. I came to it a few years later, but I'm still a member now. And we're now on to Bluestone 2, which is our second collection. We had 21 pieces at the end of Bluestone 1. We donated Bluestone 1, our first collection, to RMIT Gallery which is a perfect place for those pieces to be because they're on display and they're used as research by 
people who are studying art and researching art, which is great. It's a snapshot in time. It's important to us to collect from Victoria, but not necessarily just Victorian artists. So we have got a few, a sprinkling of interstate people, but all bought from Victorian galleries. We each contribute a small amount of money. What is small is $300 for us, and we can say that, which is, you know, not a lot in the art world. But that gives us a few thousand dollars a year to play with. And then we get together and we have wonderful discussions about what we're going to purchase and the reasons why. We have a goal to help support craftspeople who are not particularly well collected or who are doing things that are just a little bit off the edge and perhaps not as well, you know, regarded because of that. And it's broad craft. It's not, I mean, there are a lot of ceramics, but there are also a lot of jewellery and some um, beautiful metal, leather, uh, wood. So there's a, a range of materials. It's definitely philanthropic. And also we set up as a not-for-profit, so we can't sell it. We don't want to sell it. We don't want to make money out of it. It's there for learning and for a record of our contemporary society through craft. Another way of being involved in collecting, which a lot of people don't think about, is join one of the public institutions. So you could become a member of the Powerhouse Ceramic Collectors Appreciation Group. You could give them $20 a year. You could give them $2,000 a year. You could start a relationship with the curator there and she may say, this is a wonderful thing we want to buy but we don't have the money. You could say, look, here's $50, here's $5,000. Your name will end up on a plaque. You don't collect it yourself but you've been a part of supporting an artist and building a collection. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic. I imagine as a collector, Brett, there's a certain amount of administration that you need to do to authenticate your collection. Would that be right? There is. You'll usually get a receipt and sometimes you get a certificate from the gallery with a picture on it. It's worth, if you're buying something from an exhibition, take a photo of it in the exhibition context and um, keeping the records and not, not in a shoe box in the bottom of the wardrobe, keep them somewhere logical. And it's also worth talking to someone who is a friend or a partner or a family member about your collection and where those records are. Getting back to the cultural gift things, you can leave institution things in your will. Like I have a list of my collection and it, most of it goes to particular people who were with me when I bought something. Or it may go back to the artists themselves because they may not have something from that period. But keep good records. You may need to insure it. And you need to have a record of what you have somewhere safe. Yeah, indeed. Hmm. You're the founding director of uh, studios in Sydney, Claypool. What is Claypool? How did that begin? Unlike a drawer or a painter or even a photographer, you can't really do pottery on your living room table because it's messy and you need a kiln and you make a mess and you need somewhere to recycle your clay and somewhere to keep your glazes. As property prices in Sydney increased and also as every second warehouse in the inner city was being bulldozed down to make a block of apartments, in my gallery world I realised that a lot of artists were having to move either out into the suburban fringe or Newcastle, Wollongong, 
Blue Mountains to get somewhere that they could have a studio. So I knew that there was a need for this. At the same time as this was all happening, a lot of ceramic artists were enrolling perpetually in TAFE so they would have studio and facility access. And we thought at the time if we could get 20 members, we would be doing really well. That's nearly 10 years ago and we're now 60 members. I see us as the springboard for a lot of people to come in, see if they can make a career of being a ceramic artist, either production or exhibition. Fantastic. So it's a really nurturing, you know, new generations of potters and um, and being the foundation for a lot of people to um, begin their own studio practices outside of Claypool and in other places. Many years ago, um, I did a course at Claypool. There you go. I haven't become a member or started my own studio, but I enjoyed my course at Claypool very much. There you go. Mm. <laughs> um, and I'm finding people who are collectors who want to know more, who will then enrol in a class and then come become members. So often someone who's been a collector of ceramics becomes a really good potter because they've been holding other people's work, they've been looking at things and thinking, this is what a good bowl feels like and this is what a good bowl or a good sculptural work looks like. Um, and they will come in and then start to want to make their own things. And there's real satisfaction in, in the making, of course, as well. And I think many people um, who really who appreciate the work that artists do um, and, and begin to love the clay um, want to experience that, that tactile uh, aspect of by making themselves too. Exactly. Really great. Brett, thank you so much for talking with me today for our podcast series on ceramics. It's been fantastic. It has been. It's, been, it's made me think about why I, I um, collect and why I make and why I run Claypool and why I work in a gallery. That was art dealer and ceramic artist Brett Stone. I've learnt some useful tips from Brett for personal collecting, like properly documenting your purchases and how satisfying it is to form a relationship with an artist from early in their career. And Brett has justified my love for the Danish sideboard. To see photos of Brett's work and items from the collection of Jenna Price and John Kavanagh, go to our website, australiandesigncentre.com slash podcast. In the next episode of Object, you'll meet ceramics teacher Jane Sawyer. All of the skills that I learned in Japan, they came from the trade of pottery, from production throwing. One of them is just how to mix the clay. When that's done well, you can mix a large amount of clay without expending any more energy than you would if you were mixing a small amount of clay. Object is a podcast of the Australian Design Centre. Levin's bespoke tableware in the show notes for this podcast. Go to australiandesigncentre.com slash podcast. You can also find link. Object is produced by Jane Curtis in collaboration with Lisa Carl and Alex Fiveash. Sound engineering is by John Jacobs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>